spitting. Now it's written and kitten, hitting with mittens. I'm missing, wishing, man, listen. I glisten like sun and water while fishing. Bust the move and it's worth. Serve words with nerve embedded. I said it word, damn, you nerd, man, you heard. Coming from the town of Illy and alleys are full of fillies and rallies. Suckers get silly and sally, them found in alleys and rallies. Really? So here we go. Now holla if you Welcome to DFS MVP. Daily Fantasy Sports, most valuable podcast presented by 4 for 4 Football. I'm 4 for 4 Senior DFS Editor Chris Raybon, joined as always by my dude, Mr. TJ Hernandez. What up, TJ? Chris, what's up, man? Just just getting ready uh, for this this last like, four-game slate that we're going to have of the season. Uh, pretty excited to get this going. Yes, sir. I think it's going to be a good weekend of games. I think it's a very interesting uh, DFS slate. So we'll go through each of the games, breaking them down one by one. Since we only have four, we can get a little more in depth this week on the podcast. But before we do that, just want to let you guys know that the song that played us in was Feel Me Flow by Naughty by Nature off their 1995 album Poverty's Paradise. I think this is probably the second time we've had some Naughty by Nature on the pod. So we're trying to Get some of that classic, classic hip hop in there. Some of you guys might have even been too young to really remember it, but encourage you to go check it out. Feel Me Flow, Naughty by Nature off the album Poverty's Paradise. Let's get right into the first game of the week, which might be considered somewhat of a paradise for the Atlanta Falcons because they get to go on the road to Philadelphia to play an Eagles team that will be without Nick Foles, I mean, excuse me, without Carson Wentz. So they're starting Nick Foles at quarterback, though I think it might be a tougher game for Atlanta than uh, the general public might think right now. It looks like the Falcons are actually the favorite on the road by three points. The over-under opened at 43 and a half. It has since dropped to 41. TJ, you just mentioned off-air that there might be some wind in this game, but in any case, it's an implied score of the Falcons 22 and the Eagles 19 as it stands. So uh, I guess just TJ, start me off with just some opening thoughts on this game in general, and then we can start to go into some of the more specific players. Yeah. Before we we do dive into uh, this game, I did want to mention just a, a quick uh, general DFS note that, that FanDuel is, uh, they're basically running two main slates this week. They have a uh, full Saturday and a full Sunday. They're they're running a, a two day slate, but the bigger contests are on Saturday alone and Sunday alone. So uh, listeners just take note of that. And and there's some slight pricing discrepancies. They're all only like one hundred or two hundred dollars apart, but uh, definitely take note of that. But I mean, looking at this game, you mentioned the wind, and if there is one game where uh, there there's kind of uh, two quarterbacks that people aren't going to be excited about. I think it's this one, but uh, Philly's defense has been, uh, they've been a little bit inconsistent against the past. They've allowed uh, five uh, 20 plus point fantasy games to opposing quarterbacks, uh, even though they do rank in the top five and adjusted fantasy points allowed. But the problem with Matt Ryan is he's, he's really been one of the most consistent fantasy quarterbacks if we look at cv as a measure of his week-to-week fantasy points uh but 
that means he's just kind of staying in a very tight range. So he's he's a decent floor play, but he's never going to give you a very high ceiling. So the the guy that I'm looking to on this offense um, is just going to be the, their pass catchers. I like Julio Jones uh, against a Philadelphia secondary that ranked 21st in schedule just to fantasy points allowed to wide receivers. Uh, and like I mentioned, Philadelphia, they've, they've been good against the pass, but they've allowed some big big games only three teams have allowed more receivers to score at least 20 ppr points in a game uh than the eagles but another note on that is uh four of those instances came in just two games so in other words there's been two games where two receivers have scored at least 20 ppr points against the eagles and uh they they've been especially vulnerable at least down the stretch against the slot receivers uh five receivers have posted at least 100 yards against the eagles from the slot so that gives uh muhammad sanu a little bit of a bump and then on the other side of the ball i mean with, with nick Foles under center this passing game's really been uh, a mess after that New York game where he came out and threw uh, four touchdowns, but it's it's pretty much been uh, Zach Ertz. He's seen over 30% of the targets in two full games with Foles, and then Nelson Aguilar's actually uh, been the number two wide receiver. He's with Foles under center. Aguilar's actually led the team in targets over the last six weeks, but uh, in that span, he only led the team in targets in two games. So he, he's been consistent, but he's not seen like a ton of targets in a single game, although he is tied for the team lead in red zone targets. So I, I think that uh, you kind of just have to hope that they uh, the Eagles get in in a game script where uh, they are going to use their pass catchers a bunch but I could also see a, a situation where um, after they rested a giant week 17 they come in with a game plan to kind of hide foals and maybe give a more than the the 14 to 16 touches he's seen in the last three or four weeks yeah, that's a lot of great stuff. Uh, we gotta let's let's go back to the Aguilar thing because I I like Aguilar a lot this week. Um, as well, I think when you look at what has transpired with Nick Foles under center as compared to Carson Wentz, and I tweeted about this earlier in the week, the first thing you really notice that really stands out is that Foles has struggled tremendously to hit the perimeter receivers on the Eagles, that being Alshon, Jeffrey, and Torrey Smith. But the drop-off has been a lot less in terms of the the over the middle guys, the Zach Ertz's and the Nelson Aguilar. So if you look at Aguilar stats with Wentz, it was a 62% completion rate, 8.6 yards per attempt, seven touchdowns. And Wentz had a one ten point seven passer rating going to Nick Foles, uh, only 22 targets, you know, limited sample, but 72.7% completion rate. So actually higher the yards per attempt went down to 7.0. So it's been a little bit of a shorter, shorter targets, um, and he has a TD, but the passer rating is 107. So only a drop off of 3.7 points in terms of passer rating for Nelson Aguilar. That's the best of the Eagles top four wide out. So I, I think that Aguilar is in a really good spot, especially when you consider that the Falcons slot cornerback, Brian Poole has allowed an 84% catch rate. No other starting cornerback on the slate has allowed higher than a 73% catch rate. That's per PFF. So I think that, you know, it's just a good matchup overall for Aguilar to get a lot of volume. And we've also seen him show some upside, show some explosion. So I think that he's in a really good spot. He's kind of that, that mid range receiver that I think 
one of those guys at least that you want to look at. If you look at Alshon Jeffrey, for example, he, first of all, he wasn't super efficient in terms of on a play to play basis, even with Carson Wentz, only a 49% completion rate for Wentz to Alshon Jeffrey, but eight touchdowns, no picks. So Wentz ended up with a 97.5 rating targeting Alshon. Nick Foles, on the other hand, 6 of 16, 37.5% completion, only 4.2 yards per attempt, one touchdown, a pick, and a 45.6 rating. Jeffrey's going to have to go against Desmond Trufant. He's going to have to go against Robert Alford on the other side as well if they're playing zone. And both of those guys have played really well as of late. So I don't think that this is necessarily a game where Alshon is going to be uh, in line for a monster game. He's always a touchdown threat, but volume-wise, I think Aguilar would have to be the favorite along with Zach Ertz, who with Wentz, he had 7.7 yards per attempt, uh, 67% completions, and uh, with Foles, 69% completion. So that kind of stayed consistent. The yards per attempt dipped down to 6.4, but overall still nothing too scary for Ertz in terms of the numbers with full. So I think those are the two guys that that Philly is going to game plan to try to get the ball to in the passing game. Atlanta does rank 26 in schedule adjusted fantasy points allowed to tight ends. So I, I think you're going to see a lot of those those kind of interior receivers get some action. Then it just depends on now what the game script uh, kind of shakes out as, as you alluded to TJ, where if the Eagles, we know that they want to run the ball. That's, that's obviously what they're going to want to do. But the Falcons, they've been good against the run. They've been good in schedule adjusted fantasy points, about two running backs. They actually went first in the league. We saw them kind of deliver a below, uh, make Todd Gurley, excuse me, deliver a below expectation performance last week uh in in LA so this is a it's a tough spot all around but I do think that I I definitely think that the these interior receivers are going to see the bulk of the targets on the other side of the ball TJ how are you feeling about Devontae Freeman in this matchup because I think just given his price tag especially on DraftKings but even at 7200 on FanDuel I think a lot of people are going to be looking that way especially on DraftKings where you need where you can play a running back in the flex, how do you feel about Freeman's matchup and the Freeman-Coleman split? Yeah, I mean, Freeman and Coleman have basically been uh, pretty close to 50-50 touch share. The issue against uh, this defense is that both of the running backs, not just Coleman, um, they, they get a lot of their, their usage in this offense through the passing game, and, and Philadelphia has been one of the uh, better defenses at defending uh, running backs in the passing game. The the one positive that you have going for Freeman is that Atlanta is a favorite and he is going to get a lot of that red zone work. Uh, Atlanta's kind of uh, even split in terms of, of uh, pass and rush rate inside the red zone. So he's going to have some touchdown upside at Atlanta. I mentioned I think they're going to be able to move the ball through there a little bit better than people uh, suspect. But if I'm, if I'm choosing between the two, it's probably Freeman. But I don't think he's necessarily even a top i mean maybe the maybe my rb4 um on this slate but uh but i think there's a few guys that i have clearly ahead of him yeah it's tough because i think freeman especially on DraftKings, the salary is in a spot where you know he has that 20 touch upside he has that touchdown upside his 15 carries inside the five yard line during the regular season are actually the most of any back remaining on the playoff slate 
that ranked third in the league during the regular season. But I do think there are some causes to cons- for concern, excuse me, and particularly with Freeman, in addition to just the Eagles being one of the top run defenses in the league, Freeman has actually struggled a lot outdoors. And it's not talked about a lot, but indoors in his career, Freeman averages 4.6 yards per carry and 9.0 yards per catch. And he scored 27 touchdowns in 34 games. But outdoors, he drops from 4.6 yards per carry to 3.9. His yards per reception drops from 9 to 7.1. And he scored only seven touchdowns in 26 games. So now you have the Falcons going on the road, you know, to Philly in a tough environment to play against a, an elite defense, or at, at least in a defense that's played at an elite level and has some elite level talent on that front seven. I think this is going to be a difficult game for Freeman and by extension, the Falcons in general. I actually read an interesting article on a site called VegasInsider.com, which is essentially a site that has uh, the various betting odds for all the different sports. And they also produce some content, but they interview bookmakers from time to time or pretty much every week, actually for the NFL. And then, and, and just kind of see, you know, how w- the reasoning for opening lines at a certain, at a certain place or whatnot. And bookmaker actually said that this it's kind of the reason that the Falcons are favorite is more of a kind of capitalizing on the public's bias and what the public thinks um, and that recency bias from last week's win against the Los Angeles Rams. They said that at worst, this game is probably a pick em, but there's no real value for the books in a pick em when, when they can inflate it to Falcons, you know, by, by two and a half or three points and still get a lot of bets on the Falcons. So um, I think this is a, this is, I wouldn't necessarily just look at it as, okay, the Eagles are underdogs here. You know, the Falcons are in a great spot. I think it's going to be a tough game for the Falcons, a tough game for Freeman. And he's probably going to need touchdowns to pay off. And, you know, he, he's one of the better touchdown scorers in the league, but it, it is going to be a uh, tough matchup there. Julio Jones, I think. Uh, oh, sorry. Go ahead, CJ. Excuse me. Oh, I was just going to interject and say it's really funny that you you brought that Vegas thing up because it was something I was thinking about uh, earlier in the week where we saw two two underdogs uh, win, and I think the other two covered. Uh, I don't have the, mm-hmm. have the mm-hmm. final scores in front of me, but it's just in ninety nine percent of the time we're we're going to see uh, Vegas put out these really sharp betting lines because uh, they don't want the sharps to they don't want to get arbitraged by the sharps. But NFL in, in playoffs time is such a unique animal because it's getting so much betting attention that I think this is probably the one time of the year where uh, betting odds maybe aren't as reflective uh, of the actual outcome as they might be throughout the season. Just for, like I said, there's so many people bet on the NFL and then when playoff comes, I mean, they're just all these games are getting huge volumes so they can, they can afford to, to kind of overcome some of those sharps a little bit. Right, exactly. So I think for the people out there, just remember if you, if Vegas lines are something that you incorporate heavily into your research, just keep that in mind that especially this week and especially in the playoffs, these are more a reflection of public perception than necessarily the exact, uh, lines that you want to take away and, and, and use in, in your projections. Um, and also I wrote about this in Raybon's review for this week and it, it kind of, we also saw, last week a lot of situations where kind of the most likely outcome for a particular team or a particular offense didn't occur and the defense kind of made 
certain teams play left-handed, like the Saints. You know, they 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 didn't really utilize Ingram and Kamara. You saw you saw Blake Bortles outgain Leonard Fournette on the ground and have to be a big part of that offense running the ball. So I think you know it, it could be a situation where as much as the Falcons have been a running back dominant offense for the most part. And then, you know, you still have Julio and Sanu, of course, but I think the Eagles may, may be able to, 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 to make some hay against these, this Falcon run game. I think it sets up well for Julio Jones per uh, football outsiders. The Philadelphia Eagles allow 10.1 targets per game to number one wide receivers, and that's most in the league. So we all know that sometimes it's been a struggle with Julio Jones. People feel like he's not getting quite enough targets, but if there's a team that uh, has is, is sets up Julio for a high-volume game, it is this Eagles uh, defense. So I, I do think that Julio you know, matched up with – Ronald Darby, Jalen Mills. I think that's a a matchup that Atlanta is going to want to exploit at some point. And I think that, you know, we've seen Philadelphia kind of try to protect against the big play. So we'll see what Steve Sarkeesian does. I think that, as you mentioned, TJ, Mohamed Sanu, as usual, is in a good spot just because the Eagles have been giving up a lot of underneath stuff and they're, they're content to do so. So I think, you know, Sanu, especially in DraftKings where he's, uh, put up double digit games in 12 or 15 games. He's finished. He also left the game early in which he had only a point or two, but he he's, he's kind of had a high floor. The ceiling hasn't been there. He only had two 20 point games on DraftKings and one, he had to throw a touchdown to get there. So the ceiling isn't super high um, or at least it hasn't been, but in a, in a week like this with limited options, I think Sanu's in a, a fine spot. He's a, he's a pretty good receiver all around, can go deep, can, can go underneath, can, can catch passes in a red zone. So I, I like Sanu. I like Julio Jones probably uh, feeling those guys a little more than the Falcons running game in this one. Austin Hooper continues to not be heavily involved. So uh, it's probably going to come down to, to the Freeman, Coleman, Julio, and Sanu for, the, for, this, out, for this offense. Yeah, I want to make one other note uh, on the Eagles before we move on. I, I, I know we harped on Zach Ertz pretty hard, but uh, he does have the best on-paper matchup in this game in terms of adjusted fantasy points allowed, and he's probably going to come in as a tight end three or four in terms of ownership. Walker and, and Gronkowski are projected uh, to have pretty significantly higher ownership than him this, than him this week, um, but uh, Ertz, I don't think a lot of people noticed because he was so dominant early in the year that from week six to thirteen he missed a couple of games. But he had a he had a six game stretch where he only saw uh, one game with more than six targets, and then he saw nine targets and fourteen targets with Foles. And then uh, Alshon uh, again, they have been struggling to throw it to the outside with Foles, but there there's only two receivers that are going to have a, a pretty significant size advantage this week, and one of those is going to be when Alshon is. Is on Robert Alford. Uh, Alshon has five inches and thirty-two pounds on him, so there could be some sneaky red zone opportunity there. Yeah, I think that's it for Alshon. I think it's it's he he's going to come down to the red zone um, because you know it's just he's just not you know for whatever reason I'm I'm sure it has partly to do with just the kind of routes that that he's running and partly to do with just the type of receiver that he is, but it just hasn't been uh, particularly efficient in terms of catching the football on a per target basis, but has been very efficient in turning and turning catches into to touchdowns in the red zone. So uh, I'm, I'm all on with you there. I do think that, you know, Jay Ajayi is going to be a major part of this game plan though. 15.3 touches per game over the last three weeks after 
starting off the season, kind of working his way in with the Eagles after that trade. I think this is a chance for Ajayi to see his largest workload of the season. And I think all the running backs will be involved. I think, you know, in, in this kind of playoff environment, cold weather environment, I think LeGarrette Blunt is a guy they probably like to get in there for five to 10 carries just to kind of be physical, you know, kind of compliment a Jai in that way of, of all, you know, have two physical guys that you can kind of ram down the Falcons throat. But uh, even Corey Clement as the passing down back, I think could, could see some sneaky usage because, you know, the Falcons gave up 107 receptions to the running back position during the regular season. That was seven more than any other team in the league. And, Clement is probably going to be their go-to passing back. I I, I know Kenyon Barner takes some of those snaps sometimes, but um, Clement did have, did have some splash plays earlier this year, showed some good, some, some good receiving ability, uh, especially in the red zone. So I think that's, that's someone, if you're in a tournament, large field type of tournament situation uh, or on the short slate, uh, like the two, the one day only slate, that's somebody you, you have to kind of give a little bit of consideration two as well and uh i think you know how do you feel about the defenses in this game tj uh i I mean we have two defenses that have have both been uh relatively good against the pass one thing i i often look for we've mentioned in the past is that that pass rush and although philadelphia didn't get a lot of uh sacks down the stretch they have consistently got uh, pressure on the quarterback. There's haven't, uh, at least in the past four or five weeks, didn't turn a lot of those pressures into sacks, but their, their pressure rate's really high. And I, I think probably uh, I, when you combine the fact that Atlanta's probably going to be higher owned as the favorite, and as you mentioned, this game's probably closer than people think, I think Philly's probably a sneaky defense just because of that pass rush. Yeah, that's what I was kind of getting at too. I think Philadelphia is a very intriguing tournament play at defense. You could stack them with somebody like Jay Ajayi and kind of play for that contrarian game script of Philly just taking care of business at home, being able to to, to keep the score close and and run the ball a little bit. So I, I do like Philly. I mean, they're they're a good defense, bottom line. And you know, there's there's kind of slim pickings out here this week. You only have eight teams, four teams on the on the the one day slate. So I think. I think the Eagles are a very interesting defense that will probably go overlooked because even among underdogs, you have somebody like the Jaguars who are a really good defense. They just happen to be an underdog that people might even look to more. Uh, the only thing, I guess, with Philly is that they might get some ownership is because they do have a pretty attractive price tag and they are playing at home. But that's exactly why I think they are a a strong play at, at defense and somebody you definitely want to consider. But let's go to the next game the Saturday night game, that would be the Tennessee Titans at the New England Patriots up in Foxborough. The spread is currently 13 and a half in favor of the Patriots with an over under of 48. So Falcons are implied for just over 17 points and the Patriots implied for just over 30 points in this game, which is by far the highest implied total on the slate, so we can get into the Titans offense in a second, but the Patriots implied for the highest implied total on the slate. What do you think they're going to do on offense in this one, TJ? 
Yeah, so uh, down the stretch, uh, New England actually started slanting a lot towards the run. Anybody that was playing DFS uh, probably rode Deion Lewis to a couple of big weeks down the stretch. And Tom Brady is, uh, I think he's dealing with, a, he was dealing with a little bit of an injury. He he didn't exceed 16.6 uh points in any game after uh, week 11, but I think this game sets up as a spot where uh, New England is going to attack through the air, especially through the short passing game. Uh, Tennessee's a defense that they're really good against running backs on the ground, but they play a really conservative shell defense trying to prevent uh, long passes, and we know that that Brady with uh, with this complement of receivers, Gronk can run any route. He has really good pass-catching running backs that are look like we might have a full full stable of running backs for the Patriots this this week and then um, Hogan back to full health and Amendola who's really good at running those short and intermediate routes uh, sets up really well for the Patriots just to uh, to really uh, slam the Titans through the air and then inside the red zone that's where Titans have been especially vulnerable uh, facing one of the highest uh, red zone passing rates in the league and they've also allowed the highest touchdown rate inside the 20 of any defense that is playing this weekend. Yeah, Tom Brady, I think smash spot for him, smash spot for the offense. I wouldn't hesitate to play Deion Lewis even in cash games, even with Rex Burkhead back. I think just watching the games, it's pretty clear to see that as good as Gronk is, as good as Brandon Cooks is, you know, I think Deion Lewis has kind of emerged as the Patriots' top offensive weapon just because unlike somebody like Gronk where, you know, you can you, you can – you can triple team him or, you know, you, he could kind of be used as a decoy. And then Cooks is kind of a lot of times gets caught up just running deep routes all game and clearing out space. Um, Lewis is a guy that you can kind of, you can use on any play and any, every play you want. And I, I kind of earlier in the year, I didn't know if the Patriots would were okay with giving Lewis a, a large workload because they never really have um, only a couple of times that he really ever get that true featured workload. But with all these backs injured over the last few weeks, Lewis had 29 touches and then 32 touches in, in these last two games. And those 32 touches came in a game where the Patriots had the game in hand by probably about halftime, I would say against the New York jets. And yet Lewis, you know, still managed to, to pile up a bunch of touches. I think that, I think that they are, he's going to be a feature part of this offense again. Uh, one of my favorite stats that I found when I was researching, uh, th- this game was that you mentioned kind of Tennessee and, and how they struggle to contain running backs in the passing game, even though they've been a pretty good run defense. And, uh, one of my favorite stats that I found is that the Titans allow, just as many yards per attempt to running backs as they do to wide receivers. And they allow, and they allow more yards per attempt to running backs than they do to tight ends. So they allow seven yards per attempt to running backs, seven yards per attempt to wide receivers, 6.9 to tight ends. So, I mean, we always talk about how we look at these numbers and we're, we're here crunching these numbers and, 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 and a lot of times the coaches, you know, that's not necessarily what, what these coaches are doing as in terms of they might be watching more, uh, straight up film and just kind of going, kind of going through it that way. But we do know that Bill Belichick and, and the Patriots, uh, do, do kind of pay attention to numbers. And I'm sure that that, that kind of stood out and, and Belichick noticed that. And I think, you know, you're going to see Lewis. I think you're going to see Burkhead if he's healthy. Um, and James White, who looks like he's coming back as well, which will probably leave Mike Gillisley inactive in this game. I think you're going to see all those guys 
participate in the passing game. I think that that's a good that's good news for Brady, and that that's what really makes him far and away the top quarterback play on the slate for me. But I just thought that was interesting in terms of the Titans, in terms of the Titans defense, and uh, I'm not actually too concerned with the Patriots running game either. They've been pretty consistent running the football, no matter who they face for the most part. Um, so I, I think it, it, it sets up well for, for the entire Patriots offense in this game. I think if there's any team in a smash spot this week, it's definitely the Patriots. If there's any team that you want to kind of stack the, the quarterback and the running back and a receiver or two, it's definitely these new England Patriots. Are you at all concerned about Gronk's zero target game in week 17 or I'm, how do you feel about that i mean one that that could have just been a spot where uh, i mean they were i guess kind of i don't want to say protecting them but they had to win the game but I, th- I think they also had a pretty good idea that they were going uh that that they were probably going to uh so i don't know if they they just had a, a situation where they didn't want to get their best player hurt and i mean there's still that outside chance that that bonus was looming and they were like listen we're not going to spend 5 million dollar <laughs> 5 million dollars on a few targets to Gronk uh i don't know how much that comes into play but i don't think you're necessarily uh concerned about it in a spot where the Patriots are, are going to use their best players to try to win the game. And Gronk has one of the best matchups of the week. The Titans rank 28th and, and schedule adjusted fantasy points allowed to tight ends. We saw Travis Kelsey was starting to get off against this team and then he got hurt. He, he was setting up to have a really big game last week. So I, I'm not, I'm definitely not concerned about Gronk. The only concern with him is that he's $1,200 more than the tight end two on either side. So you're just going to have to kind of, uh, decide where you want to pay up but uh i mean i'm I'm not avoiding him per se but i do think there are some some sneaky spots in this passing game yeah i think gronk has the, the top matchup in terms of you know the receiving discounting the running backs i think gronk has the top matchup against this titans defense brandon cooks you know as you mentioned the titans Try to limit those big plays now we could see the patriots you know throw a curveball if hogan's back because we know Hogan can run vertical routes as well. And given that he might still be a little banged up, had only one catch for one yard on five targets when he tried to give it a go in week 14, still nursing that shoulder injury and hasn't played since. So I could see Belichick kind of perhaps sending Hogan on kind of the clear out routes and and utilizing Cooks a little more in the short game because we have seen teams with good quarterbacks and and kind of speed speedy receivers like Brandon Cooks have some success. Jimmy Garoppolo and Marquise Goodwin connected 10 times for over 100 yards a few weeks ago. Uh, Antonio Brown and Ben Roethlisberger did the same. And then we saw Tyreek Hill catch seven passes for, I believe it was 87 or 77, 77 or 87 was, yards uh, last week. Yeah, it was 87. And, and it's interesting because that, that's actually exactly what Kansas City did last week. Uh, Tennessee preventing that deep pass. Uh, he, he didn't get his yardage on deep throws. He had two plays. I think one went for 40 plus, one went for 20 plus, And both of them were on, on short crossing routes where he kind of turned them into uh tur- made the yardage himself so I, I don't think people you definitely can't look at the box score on that one and say oh he caught a couple deep balls uh, on seven catches no brandon cooks isn't going to be able to do that and if he, he uh does succeed it's going to have to be like tyreek did last week yeah and the titans also down a, a perimeter corner Lashawn sims who was starting for them most of the year went on injured reserve so they've been starting a ty smith out there Logan Ryan would probably be in the slot, though they could move guys around. You know, Logan Ryan, former Patriot, maybe maybe they feel like he might have a better matchup on somebody in particular. But 
you know, he's a bigger guy, doesn't really profile as a guy that you'd want to follow around Cook. So I think it's going to be a Dory Jackson mm. on Brandon Cooks. And who knows? Yeah, I mean, I, Belichick could just change it up. We've, we've, you know, we've kind of seen that throughout these playoffs where teams kind of going away from from their bread and butter at times and kind of it's kind of more of a chess match here. You have most of the best players in the league, a lot of a lot of the good coaches in the league. So uh, I, I, I do think that, you know, you got to kind of account for that. Danny Amendola, you mentioned, he actually had uh, better stats mm-hmm. in games that Hogan was active. But I think that's kind of more not necessarily correlational as much as it is uh, to do with the fact that the Patriots were just a bit more pass heavy earlier in the season. They, they have kind of shifted into a bit more run heavy approach. I think Brady sliced about four or five attempts off of his uh, average per game over the second half of the season. His yardage per game actually dropped in each month of the season. But again, I think this is a great spot for Brady, you know, still a bad, uh, below average Titans pass defense. And, um, you know, also you got to keep in mind as well that you have a coaching kind of what I think anyway is a coaching mismatch in this game where you have Brady, I mean, excuse me, you have Belichick and you have Josh McDaniels and they're going up against, you know, Mike Malarkey and Terry Rubisky. So I think, I think you're going to see the Patriots offense have some success. I'd be really surprised if, if they get into a, a lull like the Kansas city chiefs did in the second half of the game last week, although the chiefs only really had three drives just because of kind of a weird way that game script ended up playing out. But I think it's a good spot. Yeah. I'm, Pat's offense. Yeah. You mentioned Danny Amendola. He's the only uh, receiver that's going to be, well, the only significant receiver on their team that has an average depth of target below 10 yards. I think he could end up being kind of like the sneaky low on volume play just because if, if they don't change up the, the schemes and the routes of Cooks and Hogan uh, and Tennessee plays that deep shell, Danny Amendola is going to be that, that short yardage uh, receiver. And as well, I think James White's pretty sneaky play in that same respect. But I mean, I, I hate, using this uh this narrative but patriots are just feel like that one team that when when news comes out that things are falling apart they're they're the team that's going to want to come out and drop like a 50 burger on somebody yeah i was just about to say i think if there's you know when you're kind of making roster decisions on short slates like this you you always want to kind of favor that team that could just exponentially almost outscore the others where it's like you know, the Patriots, obviously, we, we know their implied point total is 30 and it's pretty much higher than anyone else on the slate. And um, but but just, you know, this is a spot where, you know, as you mentioned, they could put up 50 points. Like it's not out of the question, you know, going against this Titan team that everyone's kind of, you know, Cinderella story. You know, they get the win, save Malarkey's job. Well, now they're going to Foxborough. Now they have to deal with Belichick and McDaniel, who, who've had a couple of weeks to prepare. Patriots offense getting healthier and uh yeah this is a this is a big spot i think for for new england on the other side of the ball i guess new england's offense to a certain extent does have implications on the titans offense because if you know we know the titans want to run the ball and with derrick henry they've been they were pretty good at it last week of course the chiefs do rank dead last in run defense dvoa so you know can't necessarily expect a repeat performance though the patriots aren't very good themselves they actually rank 30th so you know Derrick Henry how do you feel about Henry TJ because on DraftKings he's 7300 but on FanDuel he's 6700 despite the fact that DraftKings 
cap is ten thousand dollars yeah. less. So is that kind of influence your, you know, how you're approaching him at the different sites? Yeah, that's ex- that's pretty much uh, exactly how and why I'm approaching Derrick Henry. The intrigue in him last week was uh, that he was that affordable running back that was going to see some volume, and even though something like uh, the Vegas line wasn't uh, a strong indicator of him having a good game, he was very affordable. He's still going to have that twenty touch upside just because that's how Tennessee is going to want to run their offense. I, I think, like I mentioned last week, they're going to hopefully want to run more and try to keep the game close. Um, but running back three on DraftKings versus running back nine on FanDuel uh, and and DraftKings where they favor uh, things like passing work, I think Henry is way more attractive um, on FanDuel uh, as that RB9. It's just, it's just a huge price discrepancy, especially on, on such a short slate. Yeah, and the thing about Henry is a lot of his – production has come on long touchdowns and he's actually pretty good at creating those. So you ne- you can never discount that. But as his price continues to climb on DraftKings, it makes him, it makes kind of one of those long touchdown plays more and more necessary because, um, you know, as you mentioned, not getting as much work in the passing game. So, you know, if he, if he, if he breaks off, let's say a 60 yard touchdown run, for example, that's 12 points. And then you still have to get enough production even with that on DraftKings to kind of, you know, get up. You've got to get above 20 and in tournaments, maybe even more, you know, more than that, you know, to really be in business and make it a worthwhile play. So I think it's it's kind of an uphill battle for him given that salary. But on FanDuel, 60, what is it, 6,700, I believe, um, a lot more, a lot more possibilities there because then you're talking about maybe you know just like maybe a short touchdown run and you know a decent amount you know of yardage without even a big play and you know a lot more a lot more viable for him given that price tag so interesting there but I think what people really need to kind of or people really going to want to kind of figure out is what what's going to be up with this passing game because you have this situation where you have Delaney Walker. He's been the consistent guy, the go-to guy. You have Rashard Matthews, who has been, in theory, you know, the number. Well, he's been the number one receiver last year and for the early part of this year. But now, over these last five five weeks since he returned from injury in Week 14, Matthews is actually fourth on the team in targets, trailing Walker, trailing. Decker and trailing Corey Davis, the rookie first rounder as well. So TJ, I mean, before we even get into like just how the Patriots are going to defend them and match up, what are your thoughts just on Matthew's role in the offense? Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's it's pretty much. Uh, I mean, he's basically their their wide receiver four at this point behind Walker Davis and Decker. He's just, he, I think he's he's pretty much unplayable at this point. He was the the uh, main red zone guy earlier in the year, but uh, most of his red zone volume came in that first half, half of the season. He, he's uh, fallen behind Decker and Davis in, in uh, targets. Davis actually uh, was was the guy that saw the most targets in the receiving core last week. Walker had eight, Davis had seven. The only reason Decker salvaged his week is because he caught that late touchdown. So uh, this, again, this isn't a team that, that's going to throw a ton, um, but I mean, you have to pay attention to Davis's seven targets, which I think is more important than Decker's fantasy scoring last week. And, and Matthews is just way behind those guys. Walker is the clear guy you want to pair with Mariota. If you're going to, to go with the, uh, if you're going with the correlation passing offense, I think this is the one I want because of Mariota's legs and he's at 
least going to give you something in the air compared to someone like Bortles. Uh, but I, I don't see myself pairing him with anyone besides Walker or Davis. Interesting, because I yeah, I, well, first of all, to your to your to your comment about that, he's kind of their wide receiver four. Well, really, they're their wide receiver three, I guess you would say they're they're their fourth receiver, but um, you know, fourth pass catcher in terms of targets over these last five weeks. But um, you know, I did see John Paulson actually, who who does of course the projections at four for four, usually in top five accuracy, pretty much every season, does a great job. Um, he actually bumped. Matthews down to fourth in the projections beyond, behind those other three guys. So I, I thought that was interesting. And I, I do, I, I think I have, a, I have, I have a little different view of it than you in terms of, of how this is going to shake out. I do think that, uh, I do think that Matthews is, is going to struggle because I think he, you know, whether he sees Butler, Malcolm Butler or Stephon Gilmore, I think it's a tough matchup for him. I think that the Patriots ultimately, I think their strategy, first of all, on defense is going to be, you know, let's make Marcus Mariota throw the ball to the outside against us because Dwayne Walker has been Mariota's top target. We know they want to run the ball. The Titans would like to keep the game, I think, kind of more in the interior of the field. I think that's the that's where the Titans would prefer to win. If they're if they're doing things on the edges, I think it's, a, it's it will be a lot more kind of Mariota bootleg rollout things of that nature, and maybe some defined throws. So, but I think the Patriots are going to to play man coverage. I think they're going to put probably, I guess, Gilmore on on uh on Corey Davis although I could see it going either way but it, whoever it is I think both of those corners I think they're going to leave them singled up and and, and kind of dare the uh, Marcus Mariota to throw into that single coverage but because of that it kind of I'm not feeling too good about Delaney Walker because of that and the reason being is you know kind of related to to, to that strategy I think is the Patriots kind of going back to their let's take something away uh, kind of defense and I think the Patriots are and again this is just me kind of putting myself in the shoes it just might not it might happen it might not but my prediction is that the Patriots are going to try to double Walker take him out of the game the Patriots ha- do rank uh, well against tight ends on the season uh, they rank I believe it's let's see it's seventh they rank seventh in schedule adjusted fancy points allowed two tight ends and anytime a team really has been uh, they faced a team that has a, a top dog type of tight end. Like they limited Travis Kelsey back in week one to, to 40 yards on on only seven targets. He was kind of the, the one guy uh, in that game, even though the Chiefs went off, they were able to limit. And, you know, they also, Charles Clay a couple of weeks ago, he's kind of in a similar boat as Walker in terms of he he's he's a tight end, but he's kind of the number one target on the team, uh, on a team that doesn't, you know, likes to run. Um Charles Clay had only 37 yards on 10 targets, four catches for him. So I think the Patriots are capable of limiting top tight ends. So I think that actually sets up for Eric Decker. I think Decker, your guy, TJ, Eric Decker, I think, to me anyway, is a core play in DFS this week. I think he's, I think he's the best, I think he has the best matchup uh, against, he's going to either face Eric Rowe in the slot or he's going to well probably Eric Rowe because Eric Rowe from a body type perspective would be the guy or um Jonathan Jones but either way those guys have been a lot more uh generous in terms of the production that they've allowed than the perimeter corners for the Patriots so I actually like Eric Decker 
as the game. I'm worried about Walker. I think Matthews and, and, and Davis will struggle, but I think because of Davis's price point, uh, especially on DraftKings, I think he's kind of that, you kind of almost have to treat him like a tight end where he's kind of just that punt play that you're, that you're using that lowest salary slot for, because you can't really, I mean, unless you're going to play Austin Hooper is, you know, essentially in the same boat as Davis, even, you know, less, less production than, than Davis uh, over, over the course uh, of these uh, probably second half of the season, I would say, um, I think Davis is a kind of a, a punt play, but um, in, in, in that sense, and because you can't really play a tight end that, 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 that's super cheap, you kind of have to go with a, a Rudolph or a Walker is probably as low as you can go there. So, so that's kind of how I'm looking at it. I think, I, think it's, I think it's Decker for me as a number one, then Davis, then Walker, because, you know, it's still, he, could, he still you know, gets a lot of air yards. And, you know, it's easier said than done to just take a guy out of the game. So I think, you know, Walker still has that upside that he always has. But um, I, 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 think, uh, I think Decker's the guy for me. Yeah, I, I mean, that makes sense from just from a pure roster construction standpoint, especially on DraftKings, that that makes a lot of sense because he's really the the cheapest viable wide receiver that you, you can play, even if uh, whatever side of, of the matchup you're on, whether you think he's going to have a good or a bad game, uh, sometimes, especially on these short slates, you kind of just have to take that cheap play. I don't see anybody listed that you're going to play that's cheaper than him, and the only player really in his kind of area of pricing that I would really consider is is Danny Amendola. There's a pretty big gap between Mohamed Sanu and, and Eric Decker where there's just a lot of unplayable guys. So it makes sense from from that point of view for sure. Yeah, I think, yeah, Decker. And on FanDuel too, I believe Decker's still under 5K on FanDuel as well. So um, kind of that guy, just like last week, that you just slot in, you know. It's not it's not very comfortable, but these this is what happens on on short, on these short slates. Now in tournaments, I think you have to approach it a little differently. I'm more in favor in tournaments of, of a balanced roster construction because I think it's so easy for everyone, especially kind of more casual players to just, okay, let me just lock in this cheap guy and then go from there where, you know, that doesn't always, it doesn't always work out if you have a bunch of mid-range guys that do decently enough that, that your lineup is going to be, is going to be uh, better off with, with those guys than just a high low, especially if we see, uh, some of the studs and especially at running back, some of the stud running backs not live up to their salaries like we did last week when a lot of defenses kind of forced teams to go in other directions or limited the efficiency of those running backs. So um, from that perspective, you know, in tournaments, I, I try to get a little higher with, with my roster construction, but in, in cash games, I think Decker's a, a good play. And I think he's overall just in a, I, th- I like his matchup the best. Uh, let's, and then the Patriots defense, I think is the top. Would you say that's the top defensive play on on the slate or you like the uh Steelers more uh, oh man that one's pretty close I, I really like betting against bad quarterbacks I mean for, uh Patriots are probably the top play just because of the spread but man go attacking that uh Blake Bortles is is probably my favorite thing to do oh I thought you <laughs> I mean <laughs> you said bad quarterbacks and I, and I was thinking of Mariota not oh, no no <laughs> Yeah. I mean, Bortles had a better season than Mariota. Like, let's be real here. Like, yeah, Bortles. but I mean, but but what we've seen over the past three or four weeks, I mean, Bortles is going back to to going full Bortles, and I think we're gonna get into that in a minute. Yeah, yeah. I, I, for me, it's it's the Patriots. I mean, I, I like this. I think the spread kind of is one of the things too. Mm-hmm. You know, again, we always take these Vegas lines with a grain of salt, but at the same time, you have one team favored by two touchdowns, 
and every other team on the slate favored by one touchdown or less. I think it kind of is like, and in the coaching mismatch as well, where you have like this malarkey, you know, coached, you know, offense that essentially he was going to get fired until, uh, until Mariota caught a touchdown pass from him. <laughs> yeah. that, that's literally what saved his job. So I'm just, I just think that the way, if, if the Patriots play the way I think they're going to play, which is kind of man coverage heavy with, with, with double Walker on passing downs and, and stack the box against Henry on running downs. I think this creates a situation where, uh, the Titans are liable to turn the ball over somewhere. I, I still, you know, we'll get to the Steelers game. Obviously, I, it's the last game on the slate, so we'll we'll jump back to the NFC. No, it's is it the last game on the slate? It's, it's the, the early it's game. It's the early game on Sunday. Okay, so yeah, so we'll get right into that next. Um, but yeah, in terms of teams, I could see having a meltdown. Uh, I think the Steelers are just higher on my list, which is why I go with the Patriots. Mm-hmm. Uh, their, their price on DraftKings is especially appealing at 3200 on FanDuel. They're up there at 51, where the Steelers are at 53, so it's a little closer. But either way, Patriots for me at defense, Goskowski, if you're playing on FanDuel, the top kicking option, expensive, but still the top kicking option just due to that implied total. Looks like it might rain a little bit in Foxborough early, on in the day, but should clear up by the, by game time. So I, I don't think you have too much to worry about in, in in that game in terms of the weather with the kickers. But uh, yeah, let's get into the uh, the Steelers and the Jaguars. So I guess we'll start with the Steelers side of the ball since it's a little more clear cut. You have Le'Veon Bell, TJ. Is Bell kind of that? Is he kind of, I guess, a must play for for lack of a better? I hate that. I hate that phrase actually because I think every no one's ever a must play. Um, we've seen the, the 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 you know the highest projected values and plays bust you know throughout you know our DFS careers. But would you say Le'Veon Bell is a must play at least in cash games? Yeah, I mean, there we, you talked about the beginning of the pod about how uh, where can we find a spot where a team is going to make a opposite offense play play left-handed so to speak and I think the the easy narrative was that uh, since Jacksonville has those great boundary cornerbacks that they could kind of sell out to stop Le'Veon Bell the problem is Le'Veon Bell's so versatile could line up so many places that you, you just can't I, I don't see a situation where you can do that against uh, the Jaguars. I mean, they're they're a funnel defense. They rank in the top ten and adjusted fantasy points allowed to every skill position except for running backs, where they rank twenty fourth. And like I mentioned, Bell's gonna he's gonna be able to run the ball. If for some reason they just decide to stack the box against him, he's gonna split out in, in the slot or even out wide. Uh, he's a guy that could see ten plus targets easily in this game, especially if Antonio Brown is maybe at. 80 or 90 percent uh so i i uh, if you look at our our cash and gpp odds he's he's almost lapping the field so yeah you're just you're just playing bell as much as you can at least in cash games and then in tournaments i mean he's he's expected at least from our uh, ownership projections to to be around 45 percent uh, but I mean, you even if you want to be underweight on him you could still have him in a third of your lineups and, and have healthy exposure yeah um you know, Todd Gurley, I, he was kind of in that same price range as Bell and was was around uh, 40% on both sites last week. So we're kind of expecting a, a similar similar ownership for, for Bell in that slot this week. I, and I agree with you. I think in cash games, for me anyway, he's he's a guy I'm locking in. But in tournaments, again, it comes back to that balanced roster construction. You know, sure, I'm, I'll have some some lineups where I'll pair Bell with the, with a cheap guy like a Eric Decker and build lineups that way. But 
you know, if, if, if a guy like Decker doesn't hit or if, you know, Bell doesn't quite hit, you know, that th- all those lineups are, are kind of, you know, they're, they're, they're drawing dead. And, and, and I think a lot of the field will probably go in that type of direction. So in tournaments, I'm always in favor of kind of, you know, fading. And when I say fading, I don't mean necessarily 0%, especially if you're playing, you know, a, a, a bunch of lines, but fading kind of the, the most expensive players and the least expensive players, and especially the chalk and, and kind of trying to just build more balanced lineups. Number one, just to get unique roster construction and number two, uh, just because a lot of times that that just ends up being the the uh, the, the higher expectation route in terms of maximizing in terms of maximizing your ceiling. So that that's pretty much how how it will go there. I I, I do agree. I think uh, it's going to be hard to completely shut out Bell. Jacksonville gives up six point one yards per target to running backs, which is more than their six point oh targets. Uh, yards per target to wide receivers. So another another one of those teams that the way the best way to attack them is with running backs in the passing game. Antonio Brown put up ten catches for 157 yards against the Jaguars in their first meeting, but he needed 19 targets to do it. A lot of that was due to negative game script because the Steelers came out pass heavy and Big Ben ended up throwing five picks. So. Brown is kind of more of a guy where you're probably if you're going to play him as a contrarian play, you probably want to do it stacked up with somebody on the Jaguars offense because it's probably going to take kind of a, 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 a different kind of game script than we expect for Brown to approach that 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 type of volume that he's going to need to pay off his cost at that at that salary. But I mean, I, I think you know he's still a solid play contrarian play anyway just because he's still Antonio Brown I mean I think people are going to really be scared off by by him you know sitting out these last couple of games with injuries and whatnot so you probably get him at a pretty good pretty good ownership level and if, if the if the Steelers really are forced to play left-handed like if 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 the if the, if the Jaguars feel like they can get away with 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 leaving maybe Ramsey on Brown single covered or something like that and 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 do want to stack the box I think then you're looking at guys like Juju Smith-Schuster and Martavis Bryant going to be in single coverage all day. So, you know, Juju, he's been uh, excellent this season, and he's got the best matchup. And there's no such thing as a good matchup against Jacksonville, no matter where you're really looking. But he's got the best matchup in just in terms of Aaron Colvin in the slot isn't quite as, uh, as, as much of a shutdown as Bouye or Ramsey on the outside. So I think Juju's a guy where, you know, if if for some reason things don't go as planned for the Steelers offense, uh, Juju Smith-Schuster is a guy that I could see ha- having some some production in this game and potentially being uh, that that low-owned difference maker that you need in a tournament. Bryant's probably going to see a lot more of of Bouye, especially, um, and you know that's you know I think Bouye has no touchdowns around and six interceptions on the season, so. That's a that's a tough matchup. I'm sure. I, I don't think Ben Roethlisberger will hesitate to to chuck it up to any any of those guys. But uh, I th- I do expect a little more conservative game plan the way Blake Bortles played last week and the way the Steelers kind of played themselves out of the game by throwing too much in the first meeting. But you know, and and, and then TJ, any interest in any of these tight ends? You know, I think I've heard some people talking about Vance McDonald. He's at he's at min price. But uh, you know that didn't work out too well with Charles Clay last week. Uh, any any thoughts on these tight ends for Pittsburgh? I, I mean, if you're playing either of 
any of the tight ends. You're basically just any three tight ends in this game, Mercedes Lewis, uh, Vance McDonald, or Jesse James. You're basically just doing it for roster construction purposes. There, there, there's merit on these type of slates where you just take a complete minimum salary play because maybe it lets you get to a, a third stud or something, whereas most lineups you're going to be facing are, are two studs and a bunch of middling players. But that's really the only reason you're playing them. Jesse James and Vance McDonald are, are like in a 50-50 timeshare almost. People are scared of doing that with running backs. If you're doing that with tight ends, it's it's kind of a, a suicide at, at the position. Uh, like you mentioned, if, if there's an interior pass catcher I'm looking at, um, it's probably Juju Smith-Schuster just because of, of the reasons you stated. Martavis Bryant is, is basically just a dart throw. You're hoping for a touchdown. Even in the game where uh, Antonio Brown was out and Pittsburgh played all of their starters in Week 16, Martavis Bryant still barely played 70% of the snaps uh, and then his, his target volumes uh, pretty pedestrian. So those, those interior pass catchers um, on either side, not, not too interested in really. Yeah. I just thought of this right now, but uh, another one of these kind of, I guess if the game plan doesn't quite go how we think it's going to go with Pittsburgh, just being able to run another thought I just had is so Jacksonville, we know they have, you know, including Calvin, really three really good corners. I wonder if they say, hey, let's try to spread them out and maybe get Eli Rogers in there uh, and, 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 and maybe try to create a matchup that way against, against their fourth corner or against a linebacker or something like that. And maybe they also feel like you know spreading them out gives them Bell a little more room to run. So I guess you could I could see that as a game plan too. But yeah, I think Juju Smith-Schuster is kind of the guy, when you consider the salary, is kind of the guy – I'd expect to maybe have a, the best chance of, of exceeding value among those pass catchers because I, I do think that, you know, they're going to pay a lot of attention to Brown, especially after how much of a big game he had against them last week. But on the other side of the ball, I think it's really interesting because, first of all, we have Leonard Fournette, but he's on the road as an underdog, had a tough game last week. And then you have a situation where you have Blake Bortles is cheap, and expected to be a negative game script. So, and I believe Pittsburgh is the only, yeah, Pittsburgh is ranked 28th in schedule adjusted fantasy points allowed to quarterback. So, Bortles actually has the best matchup, according to AFPA anyway, on the slate. So, on this short slate, you, you kind of have to at least think about what you think is going to happen for these Jaguars patch catchers and, and this offense in general. So, what are your thoughts on on this Jacksonville offense in this game? Yeah, I, I mentioned that if Jaguars try try to take away Le'Veon Bell, they're gonna have a really tough task. I think the most obvious situation where a team uh, takes away uh, a, a offense's primary weapon is this game. I, I think it would it would make a lot of sense for Pittsburgh to do everything they can to take Fournette away and try to make uh, Blake Bortles beat them, and, and we've seen that work uh in the last two weeks even though buffalo lost they only gave up 10 points bortles outside of his rushing i mean he's he's struggling to complete screen passes and dump offs at this point and then tennessee kind of did the same uh same script against them two weeks ago in week 17 when they needed to win so uh fournette's been getting the volume but he's he hasn't exceeded 75 yards in the last two games despite uh 24 and 26 touches so i i think probably we see a lot of the same there. Uh, as I mentioned, Bortles is going to give you something on the ground, but he's given you almost nothing in the passing game. And then last week with 
the return of Marquise Lee, it was a it was a four wide receiver rotation, and outside of D.D. Westbrook's eight targets, all of those wide receivers only saw one target. Uh, so they're they're not really giving you anything to hang their hat on, other than the fact that maybe they're going to be behind and and throwing. If there is uh, one receiver that maybe you hope for some some positive touchdown upside, uh, Marquise Lee led the team in red zone targets. Uh, only five defenses allowed more touchdowns to wide receivers than the Steelers this season. So there's a little something there, but that lead in red zone targets was only eight. So it's not like there's just a ton of, of volume there for them, but uh, just just not a lot to look forward to from this offense because I, I think Steelers really sell out to take away Fournette and make Bortles beat them. It's, I, think I'm, I, think I'm a little, I think I'm a little more uh, bullish on Fournette than you. I think I think I think mm-hmm. a lot of people are going to kind of be down on him because of he had the great matchup last week and he didn't really perform. But I mean, at the end of the day, we're looking for volume. Fournette still got yep. he got twenty one carries last week, got a couple catches. He these last two weeks he's played his two highest snap shares of the season, eighty seven percent in week seventeen and eighty five percent last week. So he, he this is a guy, a talented guy who is going to get uh, a ton of work. And this Steeler defense. Since in the four games without Ryan Shazier out there at linebacker, they've allowed running backs to 435 yards on 90 carries. That's 4.8 a pop and six touchdowns in those four games on the ground to the, to running back. So I think I I like Fournette in this spot. I think, I think that Pittsburgh is definitely going to, to kind of sell out to, to stop him. But I, 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 I can see him having. I can still see him having some success. Uh, I don't think the Steelers' defense, especially without Shazier, is as good as the Bills' uh, defense overall. And I think, uh, you know, Blake Bortles is not going to throw for eighty-seven yards every week. I mean, it, it was bad last week, and he he was missing checkdowns, like throw, like literally mm-hmm. overshooting like three-yard checkdowns. But I mean, if if Bortles just plays normal Bortles level instead of like terrible Bortles. I mean, who, who knows what could happen? I mean, you know, Fournette could have easily had a couple of goal line shots, and you know, they did they did throw a, a fourth down uh, play action pass to get a touchdown. I could have easily gone to to Fournette in that game as well. So, I, I, I I'm okay with Fournette, um, but I do think that you know you kind of touched on it. The, these Jaguar wide receivers, it's it's really hard to uh figure out just exactly what they're gonna do. Westbrook and Lee played sixty percent of the snaps last week and Keelan Cole played fifty three and Alan Hearns played fifty two percent. So it's it was a it was a four way rotation. Uh trying to find just some kind of some kind of numbers to 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 hang to hang our hats on with this receiving core and how they might possibly be used. You already mentioned the red zone targets. Uh, another thing I found was that the uh, Pittsburgh Steelers are, if you look at DVOA on Football Outsiders, the Steelers are top five in passes to the offensive middle and the offensive right, but they rank 30th on passes to the left. And they also rank fifth uh, versus short passes, but 26th versus deep passes. So uh, essentially, you're you're looking for, for players that get targeted on the short left and uh, the deep sidelines, uh, they're pretty. They're pretty solid against the deep middle. But uh, th- those targets, Marquise Lee, by far and away leads the team on targets to the short left and targets to the left. So I think that kind of goes into what you were saying. Just Lee's probably the guy here, and then Dee Westbrook 
is the second has the second most um, targets to those areas of the field. So I think those two guys for me are the guys. I think I think you I think we'll see a rebound performance from Marquise Lee and him going back to kind of being that number one target. And because he because he gets a lot of targets to that area of the field where Pittsburgh struggles. And by the way, that's the same area where Artie Burns, their cornerback plays he he got banged up in practice left practice with a knee injury on Wednesday it looks like he's going to be okay and will suit up but he might not be 100% so I I do think that if the ja- the Jaguars are going to try to attack that I think we you know is is the best bet based on those red zone targets and just based on the areas of the field he's targeted and then uh Westbrook is kind of that that's that's you know second behind him in terms of he's probably the second favorite to get volume and probably get some uh some some downfield splash plays if they want to expose that Steelers uh, defense that's been vulnerable to deep passes so I think those are the two guys Alan Hearns has played the slot mostly he's not really getting many deep targets so unless something unexpected happens I don't expect him to be too much of a factor and then Cole Cole saw his role reduced with Lee back. And there's a chance, I mean, we last week was Lee's first game back. There's a chance that this rotation gets a little shorter where it, we might snap snaps might increase and that could that could hurt, you know, any of the other three guys. But I, I think it's Lee and Westbrook for me uh, on this Jaguars, uh, among these Jaguars pass catchers, if you're looking for some some tournament plays in that one. I don't think I don't think you can just look at Westbrook's eight targets last week and say, okay, he's the guy now, because I think uh, it was kind of just, you know, I think if any Jaguars pass catcher is liable to kind of be that featured guy in a particular game last week, Bortles basically avoided throwing at the Buffalo corners. Uh, They have pretty good corners, EJ Gaines and Tredavious White. He also didn't throw much at their safeties. So it was all kind of Westbrook doing work on linebackers and slot corner Leonard Johnson. So uh, that the Jaguars have shown that they're willing to kind of target a specific part of a defense. And th- this week it would be kind of targeting that the right side of that Pittsburgh defense, AKA the offensive left. And that the, at least this season it's been Lee and, and it's been Westbrook. So we'll see how that goes. Uh, any thoughts about the Jaguars defense? They're cheaper than the Steelers defense, but they are the, the underdog, but I mean, they're the best, you know, probably along with the Vikings, kind of the best overall defense on the slate. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I just, as seven and a half, I know we talked about the, the line isn't probably particularly particularly reflective of what's actually going to happen in these playoff games. But uh, I think this one is actually probably pretty accurate. Uh, I think Pittsburgh has just enough weapons to to keep Jacksonville on their heels. We've actually seen uh, Jacksonville be a little bit vulnerable in the passing game down the stretch. They gave up a 24-point a game to uh, Russell Wilson and a 23-point game to uh, Jimmy Garoppolo down the stretch. Russell Wilson, yeah, you're gonna, he, he does get it done with his legs, but he threw for three touchdowns in that game. Uh, I, I think Pittsburgh's obviously... Uh, 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 offense that's at least as good or better than uh, those offenses. So uh, I, I like the weapons against Jacksonville. I think Pittsburgh probably uh, leans on their best players and has a pretty defense, decent offensive output against this good defense. Yeah, it's 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 gonna be it's gonna be tough for Jacksonville. I think if you do play their defense, maybe stack them with somebody, maybe stack them with Leonard Fournette, and just kind of go for that contrarian. Uh, overall game script, but let's go to the final game. That's the Saints at the Minnesota 
Vikings in this game. We have the Vikings, as we record this, favored by five points with an over-under of 46.5. The line opened Vikings favored by 3.5, over-under of 44.5. So it uh, looks like there has been some some money moving the Vikings up and moving the over-under up in this game. But uh, So the Vikings have the second-highest implied total on the slate at uh, 25 and a half as, as we record this uh, TJ thoughts on this Vikings offense, how they're going to attack the saints defense. Yeah. I mean, this, this is an interesting spot because uh, case Keenum's actually, he he's been uh, really efficient down the stretch. And although the, uh, the saints have really good secondary, really good boundary corners, they're uh, they're one of only seven defenses that have allowed uh at least seven defenses to score 20 plus uh, points to a uh, quarterback score 20 plus points in a game this season. So uh, they have so- shown some vulnerability in terms of, of ceiling games and their best wide receiver, Adam Thielen has moved a little bit more towards the slot down the stretch, which is so basically they have their, their best pass catcher in the best matchup, whereas Diggs will have to, uh, compete with those boundary cornerbacks. So I think with uh, with Thielen in the slot, and then hopefully Rudolph back to full health, they actually have some some uh, decent mass- matchups in that interior passing game. And then we saw last week uh, Christian McCaffrey uh, had a huge game through the air against the Saints, and I think we uh, might see the Vikings ex- try to exploit that weakness with Jarek McKinnon this week. Yeah, I think Thielen's going to be the key for for this offense and for Keenum and really for the weight for this game kind of getting into more of a high scoring game. Thielen had uh, seven catches for 146 yards from the slot alone when these teams met in week one. And he played in the slot in 73 percent of snaps uh, of routes in that game compared to 50% for the rest of the season. So it was clearly a matchup that the Vikings uh, wanted to exploit by putting him in a slot. Now Saints corner Marshawn Lattimore has only played in a slot sparingly this season, really not much at all. So he's more likely to either shadow Stefan Diggs or just stay put and, and take away one side of the field. But either way, the matchup sets up well for, for Thielen to continue to to succeed, he had five or more catches in 13 of 16 games this season. And yeah, the running backs are fascinating. McKinnon has is definitely the pass catching back. Uh, he probably also would benefit if the Saints are able to kind of score some points on this tough Vikings defense and keep it in a keep it in a situation where Minnesota has to keep their their foot on the gas. But McKinnon's workload has actually been dwindling compared to Latavius Murray's uh, at down the stretch. So from weeks six through 13, Murray averaged 18 touches and McKinnon averaged 16.7. And then over these last four weeks, Murray went up to 18.8 touches. So stayed around the same neighborhood, but McKinnon's down to uh, 11.3. Now, some of that might be due to some of the opponents the Vikings played where they, 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 they shut out green Bay and they, they also played Chicago, you know, that in week 17. So might just have to do with, they didn't need to use McKinnon as much, but I, I like Latavius Murray a lot in this game. He's, he's had 20 carries in three straight weeks mentioned. He's averaging about 19 touches over the last four. He gets most of, if, if not all of their uh, work inside the five yard line. He's had four of their five carries there over the past four weeks and the Saints are better against the pass than the run. So 
think Murray is a, a guy who has some multi-touchdown upside in this game. I think McKinnon's a, a great kind of GPP play, especially on DraftKings where you know you can stack him with Case Keenum and, and perhaps a guy, another receiver like Thielen. Uh, I like I like Rudolph, Kyle Rudolph, the tight end, uh, a little more than Dwayne Walker this week for the simple fact that I think Rudolph has a better touchdown probability. And, you know, I am I'm a little concerned that the Patriots can can limit Walker and, you know, just the Titans being on the road and you know, kind of having a lower implied total versus the Vikings being at home and having a much higher one. I think uh, I think I would just kind of chase that that touchdown with Kyle Rudolph, who, who also has a higher red zone target share. Then Dwayne Walker, Rudolph's around 26%, Walker around 22% for the Titans. So I think I think there are some good spots for Minnesota in this game. Keenum is clearly, I think, the second best quarterback option after Brady and before everyone else, just because a lot of the other quarterbacks have tougher matchups. But uh, yeah, I think it's a it's a solid spot for this Vikings offense, and I think how how much if they have ceiling games, I think it really more more depends on what the Saints offense is going to do. What are your thoughts on, on how they're going to approach the Vikings D this week? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's really tough because the Vikings, as it stands, uh, they rank in the top five in schedule, just to fantasy points allowed to every skill position. But I, I think they're, are some indicators that, that you could point to. We have two players uh, just from a, a pure uh lineup building DFS perspective where we have really big price discrepancies. So that alone, uh, Mark Ingram's RB three on FanDuel and the RB eight on DraftKings. This is, I mean, I understand they're the, the, the saints are underdogs. Uh, Alvin Kamara has been, uh, trending towards the, the more of a featured back. I mean, it's, it's still somewhat of a split, but whereas Ingram had, uh, a little bit of an edge earlier in the year. It's been Kamara lately, but Ingram's a guy that's basically been top three or four price running back. And now in a four game slate, you have him priced as the RB eight on DraftKings. I mean, he, it's not like he can't catch the ball. He, he's, he's just as viable in the passing game as Kamara. And I mean, that just, when you get that, that pricing discount, it's just something that it's really hard to pass up despite the tough matchup. And then, uh, the other glaring price discrepancies, uh, Ted Ginn, wide receiver eight on DraftKings, but He's a wide receiver 14 on FanDuel. And whereas Xavier Rhodes didn't shadow Michael Thomas in week one, all indications are that uh, Rhodes is going to be traveling with Thomas this week. So that should free up Ginn a little bit uh, against Trey Waynes. So those are two players that, that are really interesting to me. Obviously, Michael Thomas is is going to see that target volume. Uh, they they uh, being the Vikings, they do face a pretty high uh, passing rate inside the red zone. They're one of four defenses that that saw a 60% uh, plus passing rate inside the red zone, but they also allowed the, the lowest passing touchdown rate inside the 20. So uh, maybe the Saints will throw a lot, but it's really hard to convert against the Vikings. And then Brandon Coleman, he, I, I mentioned that there's two uh, players with a pretty noticeable size discrepancy over a cornerback, Alshon being uh, one of them. Whenever Brandon, Col- whoever Brandon Coleman is going to be lining up on, whether it's uh, Terrence Newman or, or um, uh, their other cornerback, he has about uh, eight inches and 28 pounds on both of those guys. So uh, Brandon Coleman could be a sneaky play. He saw five targets last week, uh, just the third time all season he was targeted at least five times. Yeah, these size differences are are interesting. I think I've I've kind of started to I don't I don't pay as much of attention. Not I just I, I pay attention to them, but I I guess I don't weight them as much as I used to because 
I, I'm starting to, you know, as we, as the game kind of shifts to more of this, like it, it favors quickness. What usually mm-hmm. happens is these guys with the size differences, they're not as quick. So it's like, yeah, well, they have an advantage of, on size, but that like it, unless they're like a main red zone target, it doesn't always come into play because you could have like the quick guy, you know, just kind of run around the guy and still bat the pass down or, you know, break up the pass because he's just quicker to get to a spot. So, I mean, I, I've, it's kind of hurt me with a Devin Funch just a couple of times where I'm like, oh, yeah, mm-hmm. he has this, this size difference, but he's slow as hell. So, yeah. um, but I, yeah, but I do, just, yeah, I think Coleman is in a good, like, because it's just a tough matchup all around, the, the Saints are going to have to get contributions from probably other guys but besides Thomas. So I, I, from that perspective, I do understand that, you know, Coleman at that price tag is definitely in play um, in, in tournaments. And I think Terrence Newman just had his 65th birthday, so that's a good <laughs> plus two. Right, exactly. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's, you know, and, and Michael Thomas didn't even have a good game uh, against the Vikings in week one. You know, he, he, uh, he only had, he had one of his lowest receiving totals of the of the season against Minnesota in week one so I don't think this is a great a great spot for Thomas he had only 45 yards on five catches he was actually fifth on the team in receiving in that first meeting Uh, I do do agree I think Ginn is in a spot where he's gonna probably be counted on to to win some matchups against Trey Waynes and uh, it's uh, it's gonna come down to really what are the Saint how are the, how is Sean Payton gonna approach this? Last week, Carolina really shaky pass defense, uh, especially against wide receivers. So we saw the Saints kind of go away from their running backs a little bit and just target that weakness of Carolina in the secondary and with those wide receivers. But he doesn't really have that luxury this week against Minnesota. They're just strong all around. So, you know, my guess is that you're going to probably see the running backs more involved than you did last week. Mark Ingram, you mentioned him and his pass catching. He caught five balls for 54 yards in week one against Minnesota. No other running back ever equips those 54 yards for the rest of the season against the Vikings. Isaiah Crowell had 54 yards, uh, but, but no one equips that. And it's, it's actually crazy how, how good Minnesota has been against top pass catching backs in in that same game in week one they allowed 20 yards on six targets to Alvin Kamara then the next week they face Le'Veon Bell and they allow four yards on four targets to Bell then a couple weeks later they face Theo Riddick he gets eight yards on two targets then 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 they get Tariq Cohen and he gets he gets negative six yards on one target. Uh Ty Montgomery three yards on three targets. Uh Javorius Allen 29 yards on eleven targets. Duke Johnson 10 yards on five targets. Uh Todd Gurley 19 yards on four targets. I mean it was it's just unbelievable actually how good they've been uh, against stopping these pass catching Running backs, Christian McCaffrey, 18 yards on four targets. Giovanni Bernard, 13 yards on five targets. I mean, it's 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 almost absurd. And then Tariq Cohen in, in week 17, he got eight targets, 14 yards. So, I mean, nothing. They've allowed nothing to, to, to backs like Kamara. That being said, I think that you're probably going to see some creativity from the Saints and Sean Payton in this game. And I don't necessarily think that the the Vikings pass catching stats against running backs you can just apply that blank like a blanket to Kamara and say okay he's not gonna have success because Kamara is so movable that 
he could line up like as not a running back. Like, he could just line up as a slot receiver. You could get him mashed up on Terrence Newman actually in the slot. You could you could split him out wide. So I think you're going to see both of these backs kind of feature. I think you're going to see Kamara featured a lot more in this game because I think Sean Payton's going to say, okay, this is just a tough defense all around. I don't really have the same kind of matchups in the passing game. And so I just need to give my best player the ball, the my, my most explosive player the ball, and I need to find creative ways to do that. So I do. I think Kamara will see a, a lot more volume in, this week. Uh, you know, will he be efficient? Who knows? I mean, he's he's one of the best players in the league with the ball in his hands this year. But I, I do I do think I do expect to see an increased role for for Kamara as well as Mark Ingram. Kamara's over these last four weeks since Kamara returned from that concussion that he suffered in week 14. Kamara has a 63-60 edge in touches over Ingram, so it's almost equal. But Kamara actually has been getting the red zone, the the the, the goal line work over Ingram in these last four weeks. He has. Uh, carried the ball three times in, to Ingram's one inside the five yard line over the last four weeks. So I don't know if that will continue or what, but it, it just all around, it seems like Kamara's role has been like gradually growing and he's been taking kind of the, the you know, the weed in the passing game. He's taking the weed on the ground and he's taken, not on the ground, um, but on the ground in the, in scoring position. So, uh, you know, it's tough. I think, I think, but I do think we'll see both these backs. If I was Sean Payton, actually, I would probably have both of these guys on the field. Like I would try to run that offense and have, you know, operate maybe from shotgun with, with both these backs on the field. Because last week you had Kamara play 64% of the snaps, Ingram 47%. I, in a game where I think you, there's not really any great matchups that are in your favor. I think you just want to have your best players on the field at all times. So I wouldn't be surprised to see the Saints kind of roll out that that double running back offense a lot more, which again would probably free up Kamara to run more routes as a as a wide receiver. So that's kind of what I'm looking for in this game. Again, it's it's tough to say the Saints will be successful at it or not because Minnesota's been very good. But um, that's probably how I, I think it'll. I, I, that's what I would do anyway if I was Sean Payton. Yeah, I, I love the the two running back idea is something that I'm, I was really hoping we see this week. And I think it's something that can really exploit uh, this defense because, this, I mean, there, there just isn't necessarily a running back tandem that uh, that can do that against. Uh, well at all really and then obviously minnesota hasn't had to face that so if, if there's one area where uh you can i i, I don't want to say a weakness but roll out something that minnesota hasn't had to defend it's that right there yeah and i mean we've seen sean payton he's kind of getting pretty 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 interesting with his play con i mean he went for it on that fourth fourth and two last week when when he could have just punted and made cam drive the length of the field decided to throw it ended up getting intercepted he also went away from his running backs in that game and so by that same token i think you could see similar creativity this week and you know all signs that for me anyway the, the number one thing i i could see happening again would just be that you know rolling out that that tandem of running backs on on almost every play and just saying hey you know balls to the wall so you know this could be our last game of the season i'm not worried about overworking these guys i just need these guys out there so, um, you know, if that if if they can do that, I mean, you know, Drew Brees actually had a pretty solid passing game in the first meeting. Uh, di- didn't 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 turn the ball over and uh, got got 297 yards, I believe it was through the air in that game. So uh, not out of the question, I guess, that, that Brees could have a, a good game. But on the road, we know that Brees isn't 
isn't as, as hasn't been as good as as he usually is at home. 291 yards, excuse me. He had 291 yards, a touchdown, no interceptions, but the Saints settled for four field goals. So Breeze could have easily had a couple more touchdowns. They settled for uh, a, a couple of sh- very short, like twenty-something yard field goals in that game. So, I guess you know if Breeze is able to to get contributions from some of these other guys and, and not have to rely on Michael Thomas exclusively, which is going to be a tough matchup for him. But if Ginn can can win his matchup and and they can get some contributions from Kamara, maybe some of these other guys, I think you know that's that's going to have to be the avenue for 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 Breeze to have a good game and that as well as Minnesota having some success on the other side of the ball. But it was, it was interesting because you had Mark Ingram had 54 yards in that first meeting. Ginn had 53, Kobe Fleener, the tight end had 54 and Tommy Lee Lewis, uh, the fourth receiver had, or really the fifth receiver now had 52 yards in that game. So it was kind of a lot of contributions from, from, from guys other, other than Michael Thomas and uh, the, 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 uh, the Saints probably going to need that again, the Vikings defense, as good of a defense as they are, it hasn't always translated to fantasy. They've, they only have three double digit games. Uh, two of those came against green Bay Brett with Brett Hunley. One of the games was the game where Aaron Rodgers got knocked out. And, and the other one came against Andy Dalton late in the season. So the Vikings are more of a team that plays sound defense than, than necessarily rack up a lot of uh, turnovers, sacks and things of that nature. Although they, they do usually have a pretty solid special teams unit, so that that's a that's one of the ways they could they could score a touchdown, but I don't necessarily expect the Saints to just be turning the ball over all crazy on Minnesota, especially indoors. So uh, you know that's kind of how that's kind of how you got to look at that. And the kickers in this game, I think, got both of them are in play indoors. Will Watts for the Saints, and of course Kai Forbath for the Minnesota Vikings. Uh, any final thoughts on this game? Yeah, I mean, like I mentioned, I I just think that uh, going after my favorite spot is to go after Mark Ingram on DraftKings and that that super cheap, uh, just from from an exploitative pricing standpoint, uh, that that's the one spot that you mentioned where the Saints can come out and get some pretty notable matchups against the Vikings. But uh, as you mentioned, just a, a spot where I, I think it's really interesting more than the line movement. I think it's interesting that the the over under has moved up a little bit. I think this game uh, could ultimately end up being a little bit higher scoring than people would expect uh, with two pretty good defenses. All right. So that about does it. Uh, before we get out of here, we'll do some bold calls. I'm going to have to think of mine on the fly because I actually <laughs> did not prepare one. But uh, we'll start with just who do you think has the best shot at an upset this week and why? Yeah, I actually think um, I actually think that that the Saints have the best shot at an upset. Uh, I mean, the spread's five, but New Orleans, even though New Orleans is on the road, they're going to be indoors. And uh, I mean, you you go back to we have a quarterback that that's been through the playoff grinds, won Super Bowls against a, a quarterback that this is his first time here. Uh, he's he's still technically a backup quarterback. Case Keenum's had a great season, uh, but. Playoff experience really does matter. We've seen it with teams like the Patriots and and the Saints have been here before. I think the Saints could pull out an upset here. I'm going with the Fal- I mean the uh, Philadelphia Eagles. Mm-hmm. I mean I know that again the game is probably more like a pick'em, but it is they are underdog according to to the lines, and I just think that 
you know, the Falcons really got gifted by Farrell Cooper muffing those those yeah. kick returns and that punt last week. And if, if he doesn't do that, I mean, this game, the, the complexion of that game changes completely because Todd Gurley was still, even though he wasn't on a play-to-play basis consistent and he, he did struggle catching the ball, still managed 100 yards rushing. Uh, you know, the Rams still still were able to, to get big games out of two different wide receivers and almost almost had a, 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 a touchdown that would have brought him into one score. So I, I'm, you know, on the uh, this the Falcons, we they're, they're still a team that they've shown that they 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 can choke at times. And I think that that'll end up being that that's my bold call anyway, that the. The, the narrative after this weekend is done is that, oh, the Falcons are right back to choking and all they had to do is go into Philly and beat, you know, Nick Foles and they couldn't <laughs> do it. Um, I think, you know, I think this Philly team is very strong. You know, I know, you know, Carson Wentz played at an MVP level, but, you know, it's kind of just because Carson Wentz was so good at that doesn't, that doesn't change the fact that the rest of this roster is really good as well. So that, that's my, that's my call for, for an upset. And then uh, give me a, a bowl call for a player. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna give players instead of getting like a, a point or a finish projection. I'm gonna say that uh, uh, on DraftKings that Mark Ingram and Danny Amendola are both in the winning quarter millionaire lineup this week. Mm, I like it. I like it. I'm gonna go with. I'm gonna say I'm gonna go with I'm gonna go with my guy Alvin Kamara. I'm gonna say he's mm-hmm. gonna be the highest scoring running back on the slate. You know, kind of. You know, probably a lot of people wouldn't expect that against the Vikings, but I, I'm gonna say that Sean Payton, as I mentioned, I, I, I think he's gonna find some creative ways to kind of get him loose. And I think Kamara has been one of the best, if not the best, player with the ball in his hands. And that's one thing you can't really project is just when is a big, when is a guy gonna slip a tackle or two mm-hmm. and, and and go 80 yards for a touchdown. So that that's kind of my that's gonna be my bold call for it for this week. And uh, that about wraps it up for us here on DFS MVP. We'll be back next week to break down the two championship games for the two game DFS slate. You can follow TJ on Twitter at TJ Hernandez. You can follow me on Twitter as well at Chris Raybon went a little long this week, but I think it was a really good the discussion breaking down all these games in depth. Any last words, TJ? Only two more weeks to get all this money. Let's get this money. So hip up and split up, get up, get up, you wit up, suit up, put your dicks up, no gut set up, but sit up, flip up, watch us rip up, shake shows until they fizz up, riz up, like you're with us, and not zip up your lip up, whip up, hits with ransom, foul styles, get and once we came back cause we heard it, pop needed another anthem, black like Noah, in fact then for ya, and we was back in the days with the justice, we'd have been known as the blowers, revenue since the 70s, find me, so we went crazy in the 80s, so we woke his heinies in the 90s, oops, the naughty. Sections of 40, so clap your hands and hold your shorty, I'm naughty.